الحمد لله وكفى وسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى اما بعد so we're continuing with the next uh, section uh, this next section ibn al-qayyim rahimahullah again talking about sa'adatul 'abd and understanding what true happiness and contentment of the of the servant means this next section the focus will be on love this topic is related to love and in the pre-retreat listen uh, audio there was a section on mahabba and love so maybe this will sort of relate a bit more so let's just recite uh, from the text um, love of god and respect for his commandments all this will be put aright um, you know the, the yesterday we talked about the two wings and traveling between our own weakness uh, and traveling on the wing of Allah Ta'ala's greatness, that sort of balance, um, or, or you can say almost opposing uh, or opposition, we're traveling along that. So he says, all of this will be put aright for the servant through the rectitude of his heart and his limbs. Okay, so he says, all of this will be set aright through the rectitude of his heart and limbs. This comes from a hadith of the Prophet in which he said that there is a piece of the body uh, that if it is set aright, every single thing else, I'm paraphrasing, everything else will then follow suit afterward. And he said, and he said, this is the qalb, this is the heart. Meaning if a person, um, if a person's heart is where it needs to be in relation to what it loves, what it desires, where its passions are, what drives it, then its limbs will become subservient to it as well. So the focus becomes the heart. So he says, the heart is rectified by two things. So, number one, recognizing that the heart is where our attention should be. If a person has a, is struggling in their deen and in their relationship with Allah, the focus should absolutely be on the heart. We tend to focus on the, on the, uh, on the exterior and the external. I can't focus in my salah. I'm inconsistent with my Qur'an. I can't control my tongue. I, uh, I'm very ungrateful. These are all external manifestations of what actually lies within the heart. If the heart has w what needs to be in the heart, everything else then develops. You know, my teacher gives the best example that, you know, if the trunk of a tree is healthy, you can expect that the branches are going to be healthy. If there's a branch or two that are unhealthy, and we tend to focus on those branches, the first thing we should look at is, how does the trunk look? If the trunk is diseased, we can expect the branches to also be problematic. From a medical perspective as well, right? Uh, you know, any physician knows that uh, we don't just pay attention to symptoms. Uh, Walgreens and CVS, they love paying attention to symptoms. Because if you have a cough, they'll give you a cough suppressant. If they, you have a fever, they'll give you some fever reducer. If you have you know, a stomach ache, they'll give you some pain medication. These are all just symptomatic treatments, not actually addressing the underlying root disease, right? So um, similarly, any physician knows that if you want to cure the body of its symptoms, you really have to understand and treat the disease. Right? So this, this principle applies so universally because the principles of Allah are so universal. The heart is rectified by two things. Okay? The first he mentions, the, the first of them is, this is very important, that the love of Allah make, must take precedence over all other loves in, the, in his life. So that if this love and the love of something else presented themselves to him, the love of Allah would come first and his actions would follow this order. So the, he's saying that the two things that we're talking about, the heart, number one, and, it's, and, and, uh, and he's saying um, that what sets the heart right, what rectifies it, it's having the love of Allah Ta'ala take precedence over every other thing. Mahabba. Mahabba of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. He continues, how easy it is to speak about all this and yet how difficult it is to practice. It is by being tested that one is honored or humbled. And how much more frequently will someone give precedence to what he or she, himself or herself, love and desire, or what some important person, ruler, sheikh, or family member loves above what is loved by Allah. For such a person, the love of Allah does not come before uh, any other love. It is not the queen ruling over his heart. So Ibn al-Qayyim, again, this is what, what I find beautiful, this principle of loving Allah, you and I have heard it a hundred times over. But to hear it directly from you know, a master of the spiritual sciences, Ibn al-Qayyim, and the emphasis that he places on this, I just think it carries so much more weight because it sets us all aright. These are not my words. Of course, this is from the Prophet but these, this is the interpretation of, of one of the greatest scholars that ever, ever, ever lived, right? Um, 
So he says, it's so interesting. So, so he, he's trying to explain to us love that, for, number one, love is the most powerful force in the universe. I mean, love gets people to do things that even fear cannot get a person to do. Love is what takes someone who has a, if someone has a love for medicine in their heart, they will sacrifice eight years or 12 years or 15 years of education, right, in order to be able to get that degree and become a practicing physician. You know, if someone has um, love of, of wealth in their heart, right, it, this will cause them to stay up all night and finish up their projects. It'll cause them to wake up in the morning and drive an hour for their commute. Right? Love is such a powerful force and it drives us to so many things. Ibn al-Qayyim has mentioned because it's so powerful and it's the most powerful force, if love of something enters into a person's heart, it, the limbs will then follow. Limbs will then follow. If a person has love of the Qur'an in their heart, automatically the, the body will want to recite the Qur'an. Uh, automatically the tongue will want to recite the Qur'an. So, now what's the root, what's the main love that should exist in every single believer's heart? It's the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's very, very important to establish because it's the easiest way to success. You know, I, if, if I have a passion for Allah in my heart, it will drive me to do those things that are, um, that are most pleasing to Him. Right? So the focus then becomes love. And He says, And how much more frequently will someone give precedence to what himself loves and desires or what, is imp what an important some other person loves over what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves. He says, the reality is, it is not the queen that's ruling over our heart. And this is important to, to really understand. You know, when the love of Allah ta'ala takes over a person's heart, it will then direct every aspect of their life. I now make decisions about where I'm going to live uh, in relation to the love of Allah ta'ala in my heart. I, it, it now guides the car that I drive, the job that I take, the, the quote-unquote mundane actions that I perform, why I wake up in the morning, how I comb my hair, the foods that I eat. Every single thing now becomes driven by the, because the love of Allah Ta'ala has now captured the heart. And, and it, it's, look, the reality is I could either live my life the way, live my deen the way I'm taught in Sunday school, which is fear Allah. And if you don't, then this punishment is going to happen. And if you miss a prayer, then this is going to happen. And if your hands are placed this way, then this is the punishment associated with it. And that's fine, but our community has become so focused on this aspect. Um, but is it the most effective tool by which I can now practice my deen fully? If someone's ha heart is captured by Allah, you don't need, and we don't need to remind them that it's important to wake up for Fajr because the love of Allah is in their heart. The first thing they're going to want to do is wake up in the morning and communicate with their Lord. I don't have to convince my child or my spouse to read the Qur'an if the love, if the love of Allah is in their heart because they know I, naturally it comes to them that this is the, the way by which I can communicate with my Lord and read His beautiful word. It automatically expresses itself if the love of Allah Ta'ala has captured the heart. You don't have to remind people about the fiqh of this or the ruling of this or the punishment associated with this. If the love of Allah Ta'ala captures a person's heart, they naturally will want to do all of those things that please Allah. So the battle lies in the heart, number one, and the battle lies with how exactly it is that I fill my heart with love. So then he continues. Oh, you know, just to give an example, this retreat, the way it's set up, you, for, for many people you might see, okay, there's recreational activities, there's dhikr sessions, there's prayer, there's Qur'an, there's meals, there's time with the family, there's sleep. And a person might look at this and say, okay, well, this is the time to earn reward. This is the time to become closer to Allah, the sessions, the dhikr, the salah. But the meals are separate. That, that's the break from, 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 from developing my relationship with Allah. And my capture the flag or whatever other activities, that's my break from um, increasing myself and my reward with Allah or, or, or drawing closer to Allah. But I, I see it all the same. To me, it's all the same. I, I mean, uh, whether I'm, the fact that, you know, this 72-hour this period, every single act, for the person who loves Allah Ta'ala in their heart, every single one of these activities makes some contribution toward their deen, right? Meaning, if the love of Allah Ta'ala is in my heart, I now see every single activity that I perform as one that's in line and in accordance with what Allah Ta'ala wants of me. So physical activity is necessary. And eating a meal is necessary. Interacting with brothers and sisters is absolutely necessary. Spending time with family is necessary. Sleeping is necessary because all of these things, in, when they're in union with one another, for the person who has the love of Allah Ta'ala in their heart, all of these things are making a contribution toward their deen. And all of these things are making a, an, a, 
an, um, a necessary contribution for the relationship with Allah Ta'ala. We don't separate deen and dunya. You know, there's this notion that deen is separate, dunya is separate. Deen is us sitting here right now talking about Allah, sitting, facing the qibla, Quran, prayer, but food, recreation, family, relaxation, that's all dunya. That's not the case. That all is a part of my deen. That's all a part of my spirituality. So the point I'm trying to make in the context of this discussion is for the people who love Allah and when you interact with them, they're, they're driving to work, they're working, they're earning, they're talking to their family, interacting with the community, you know, spending time with their children. All of this is essentially a form of worship for them because their life is now designed to please Allah. Their life is now designed to please Allah. Now, we'll say there's no sin occurring here, of course, right? If there was a sinful activity, we would never be able to say that. But the people who love Allah are going to stay away from sin anyway. They're not going to create an environment for sin. So, uh, you know, those things that are even apparently mundane to us are opportunities for the lovers of Allah. Those things that may seem apparently mundane to the majority of the world or even to ourselves these are opportunities for the seekers of Allah. Does that make sense? Every aspect of our life is an opportunity to become closer to Allah, but that only occurs when the driving force behind it is a passion for Allah in my heart. Because now I'm conscious about what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. Now when I'm enjoying time with the family, it's not just because I want to enjoy time with the family, but I recognize that this family is a blessing that Allah gave me. And my children and my spouse are a blessing from Allah. And he expects that I serve them and I interact with them and I, and I uh, spend time with them. This is all being witnessed by Allah Ta'ala. When I'm sitting down and having meals at the table with a few brothers and sisters, this is not just me, you know, indulging myself in the, in the foods of this world, and the comforts of this world. This is an opportunity to nourish myself and to interact with people who have hearts that are working toward purity. All of this is making a contribution. The lover, lovers of Allah Ta'ala see every moment as an opportunity to become closer to Allah, even if outwardly the action itself looks to be mundane. Okay, so he continues. If there's questions, please start writing them now so that we don't have to, um, for the sister's side in particular and the brother's side, so that we can um, take them, inshallah. Um, okay. So he continues about this notion of love. For this person, it is God's way to turn the object of his love and everything that relates to it into a source of grief and sorrow in return for having placed his own desires and the de desires of those people who esteem or love him higher than his love for Allah. For Allah Ta'ala has decreed, he's going to use some very powerful language here, for Allah Ta'ala has decreed as a part of destiny which cannot be turned back or repelled that he who loves something other than Allah will surely be tormented by it. The, the one who fears someone other than Allah will come under his control. That one who involves himself with something to the exclusion of Allah, Allah, will find it a source of grief. The one who prefers another to Allah will not be blessed therein. And that one who tries to please a fellow creature by anything displeasing to Allah will, without fail, bring Allah Ta'ala's anger upon himself. You know, it's very, it's very, very interesting, right? Because... Um, what he's highlighting here is that it's not worth loving anything other than Allah because whatever else we chase whatever, whatever other passion we may, we may sort of follow it's never going to fulfill us the way Allah Ta'ala is going to fulfill us if I love my career eventually I'm going to have to retire from it I mean if, if, I, if, if this is my goal in life is to have a prestigious career well, it should be that I should be able to do this for hundreds of years. But guaranteed by a certain age, I'm not going to be able to continue this practice, whatever career I have. So it's now given up on me. You know, the car that I drive, if I have a love for my car, guaranteed 10 years from now, one, that love dissipates within two or three years, but 10 years from now, that thing that I cared so much about, it's, it's in a junkyard in 10 or 15 years. 
The houses that I build, I custom build, and I put all my effort and time and energy. More importantly, my, the, my love is what's driving it. Love for the dunya is what's driving it, not love for deen per se, but love for dunya is what's driving the attachment that I have to my home. I mean, 50 years from now, that, 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 that structure that was so important to me and so carefully designed by me and got so much of my attention, 50 years from now, it's destroyed. Right? It's leveled because someone else has a desire that's different than that. Or some other builder wants to make money off of that property and then it goes up. So anything in the dunya that we, that we chase, any passion that we have, ultimately it's going to fail us. The only true lasting, because everything is temporary except Allah. Everything, our cars, our homes, our careers, I mean, even our families and our relationships, they're all temporary. The only permanence is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, he's, let me just repeat it in that context. For this person, it is Allah's way to turn the object of his love and everything that relates to it into a source of grief and sorrow in return for having placed his own desires and the desires of those people who seek esteem or love him higher. And for Allah has decreed, as a part of destiny which cannot be turned back or repelled, meaning the sunnah of Allah Ta'ala in this world, is that he who loves something other than Allah will surely be tormented by it. I mean, how many people have experienced this? Those things that we've chased, I mean, it's funny because, uh, you know, at least from my background as a physician, when I'm in medical school and everyone's so excited and can't wait to get into the residency of their dreams and to start earn, earning, you know, a, ni a nice comfortable living. And then they go through this residency program and now they're a physician. And physicians are arguably some of the most unsatisfied people on the planet. The suicide rates in physicians are higher than any other group. This is what people have been chasing. Because what, the, I mean, there's nothing ultimately there in the end. Yes, it's an opportunity to earn a halal income. And it may be an opportunity to serve people. But the reason that people are chasing it is because they have a love and passion for this career. But then ultimately on the other end, the grass which looked to be greener is not green. Right? And this applies to so many things. If I, I mean, th this applies to uh, all of the different passions that we have. I mean, anyone who has any experience with life will say, will look back and say, it wasn't really worth it wasn't really worth it. Where is that coming from? Talk to the people that were pursuing it. It definitely seemed worth it at that time because everything vanishes and disappears except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And, and the beauty is, so this applies to the dunyawi passions that we pursue, but it also reply, applies to relationships as well, right? I mean, all of these relationships and, uh, you know, uh, people that have, uh, that are like popular on social media and things like that, they, you know, before they get to that state, they're wanting it so badly, so badly, so badly. And then they get to the other side and they're like, there's really nothing here. There's really nothing here. Let me just go back. You know, life was a lot simpler when I didn't have as much money. Life was a lot simpler. You know, everyone, everyone I've interacted with said the same thing, right? Uh, that, you know, when I lived in my one bedroom apartment uh, and I made, you know, whatever, $30,000 a year, I was so much happier than, than, uh, than I am now. With, with my much bigger space because the dunya is never going to satisfy us or quench our thirst the way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will. So if a person really is looking for sa'adah and contentment and happiness in this world, there's nothing worthy of pursuing except Allah because Allah will fulfill us better than anything else can ever fulfill us. If my concern is where should I attach my heart, it should be to Allah because Allah ta'ala fulfills, He appreciates you know, I mentioned this yesterday, that Allah Ta'ala is always ready to take us back when no other person is ready to do so. Allah Ta'ala is always ready to give when any other investment that we make, it's not ready to give back. It's always going to work against us, ultimately in the long term, even in the case of this dunya. So he says, for Allah has decreed, as a part of destiny which cannot be turned or repelled, that he who loves something other than Allah will surely be tormented by it. The one who fears something, someone other than Allah will come under his control. Someone who fears other than Allah will come under his control. That one who involves himself with something to the exclusion of Allah will find it to be a source of grief. That one who prefers another to Allah will not be blessed therein. So this is something that we should deeply reflect upon. This doesn't mean that we change our ways. This doesn't mean that we just quit our jobs and we just sit in the masjid. Because I, as I mentioned in the beginning, even that is a part of my deen. The, cha the, the, the challenge is not, let me redesign all of these things. It says, let me revisit my approach to these things. So someone who's pursuing, you know, 
uh, building a home or pursuing a career or pursuing the upbringing of their children, as long as it's done, as long as it's driven by the love of Allah Ta'ala, all of this is completely acceptable and encouraged. In fact, it's necessary at times. So we shouldn't misunderstand this. Um, so, but the challenge becomes, how is it that we make Allah Ta'ala the driving force for all of our actions? Okay. Um, this, final, this final paragraph, which I'll, misspend, I'll just recite here. The second way by which to put the heart aright is to venerate the divine laws. So he talks about uh, how do I rectify the heart? Number one is to fill it with Allah's love. In, in the final few moments, I'm going to talk about how we're going to do that. The second way by which we rectify the heart, and this is a unique concept that not many of the mashayikh of the past have talked about. The second way to which to put the heart aright is to venerate the divine laws. He calls this ta'zim, ta'zim al-amr wa nahi is to venerate them. Because out of veneration for the one who sent them. Veneration means to, uh, number one, uh, hold them in high regard. The laws that Allah Ta'ala has placed upon this earth, I have to, I have to venerate these. These, even if I'm not able to practice these, I have to see these ultimately as the guiding principle that's going to lead to my success and the success of the entire world. And the second concept, the second re- behind veneration is to trust that the laws of Allah Ta'ala are going to lead to my ultimate happiness and contentment. That's what venerating the laws of Allah Ta'ala is, and this concept is known as ta'zim in Arabic. To anyone who lacks this veneration, Allah Ta'ala asks, what ails you that you do not hope for Allah's protection? Which is interpreted to mean, what is wrong with you that you do not fear Allah Most High in His Majesty? So, Ibn Qayyim, for the next several sections, he talks about ta'zim, but we're not going to have time to cover it in this retreat. But is this important to appreciate this concept? That part of rectifying the heart is not just filling my heart with Allah Ta'ala's love, although very powerful. It also means that I have to now shift my viewpoint of the laws of Allah. You know, the laws of Allah for most people is, again, rules, restrictions. I can't do this. This is haram. This is halal. This is permissible. This is sunnah. This is sunnah mu'akkad. This is nafal. Important to learn those things, but all of those are like, you know, ultimately the laws of Allah Ta'ala are going to be over everything, everything else. We're not talking about implementation. We're talking about how we view these. And recognizing that whatever Allah Ta'ala has decreed or has instructed or commanded, I have to see these as the method of success for myself and for the rest of the world. And that's ta'zim, to elevate them. Ta'zim, means to, to, to make something great. So I have to see this as great. So he, it's interesting because it's almost like an aqidah type concept, but that directly ties into the principle of the heart which is that if I really want a pure heart, I also have to look at the laws of Allah Ta'ala properly and that in and of itself is a rectification of the heart. Meaning, I see those things that Al-Amr, those things that he commanded and instructed us to do as those things that are good for me and I should strive toward it even if I can't perform it. And Nahi, those things that he prohibited me from doing, I have to see it as being harmful and detrimental to me even if I'm engaged in it. And even if I don't necessarily see the long-term benefit in it, I have to have this veneration of these two things in order for my heart to actually be set in balance and set aright. Does that make sense? So that's the second concept. And he covers this extensively, but we won't have time to cover this in the retreat. So I'm going to um, pause here and uh, take questions, inshallah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala... Um, oh, sorry. I, I, I said I was going to conclude by talking about the love of Allah in the heart. So um, briefly, and we, you know, the, 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 the solution to so many of our issues becomes bringing the love of Allah ta'ala in our heart and making it the mechanism... Uh, or making it our, 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 our guiding light. Uh, and really the reality is the love of Allah Ta'ala enters into the heart by two things. One is the dhikr of Allah Ta'ala, undoubtedly. Undoubtedly, if a person engages in Allah's remembrance through recitation of Qur'an and through his, his remembrance, the love of Allah Ta'ala will fill the heart. And what's interesting is this is the type of thing where if somebody asked earlier about, do I need to have an intention? Just remember Allah Ta'ala through some structured routine of remembrance and the love of Allah Ta'ala will absolutely fill the heart. Muraqaba, the, the dhikr of the heart, is the, one of the most powerful tools by which the love of Allah Ta'ala def- de- uh, develops in the heart. It's an exercise, it's a tool, it's not a goal. But a person who regularly engages in muraqaba and eventually even does more prolonged forms of muraqaba, that mindful practice of Allah Ta'ala is so powerful, it's one of the most powerful tools to develop the love of Allah in the heart. 
But of course, any form of dhikr will also count, including, most importantly, recitation of Qur'an. So the more we remember Allah Ta'ala, the more likely it is that we'll love Allah. Number two is to spend time in the company of people that love Allah. Because from their heart emanates a light uh, from Allah that then sort of encompasses gatherings, it encompasses people. And in the science of spirituality, this is sometimes, there's different terms that are called for this, like fez or, 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 or tawajjuh. And this automatically penetrates our heart through their example, through their company, through their suhbah. It's so powerful and people that have ex- witnessed it and sat in the company of people of taqwa and piety and people who love Allah have sensed it. I've sensed it in the company of my teachers who love Allah. I've sensed it. And I still sense it to this day. And whenever I feel that I'm uh, lacking in my love for Allah, I come and sit in their company for just a little bit of time, recharge my heart, and leave, and I, and I feel it again. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us the fiqh to establish the love of Allah ta'ala in our heart. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala um, make us from amongst those who uh, venerate his laws and see what's right for what is right and, and what's wrong for what is wrong. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to practice what we've... Uh, what we've recited and what we've heard. وَآخِرَ دَعْوَانَا لِلْحَمْدُ لِلَّهِ رَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ These are the... Okay. Okay, so we'll take questions. Okay, <clears throat> the first question. I, I'm, not, I'm just going in order of what I'm receiving from the sisters. I'm not, I'm not, uh, um, how do you increase your love for Allah Ta'ala and make it more than other loves? I think that was the concluding point for today. Uh, it's to increase our remembrance of Allah uh, and to really take it seriously. I have to have a routine of dhikr. It's not feasible for me to wake up in the morning and not know what I'm going to be doing with my dhikr the rest of the day. I have to have tangible goals. My goal is this much istighfar, salawat, la ilaha illallah, muraqaba, Qur'an. Qur'an should be at the top of the list. Recitation of Qur'an. Or whatever other dhikr, du'as from the Prophet But there has to be some structured routine of dhikr that I do every single day. And I wake up in the morning and I, need, I know I need to get to it. Of course, if I don't get to it, I ask Allah to forgive me, I move on. But that's my goal. It's essential to have a routine of dhikr. Because that is what's going to, over time, increase our love. Look, this applies to physical as well, right? I mean, if someone wants to get into physical shape, it requires a routine three days a week or four days a week of hitting the gym. And before I start my day or the week or the month, I know what I'm going to be doing. I'm not just going to show up to the gym and say, I feel like doing my, maybe I'll do shoulders today and, you know, maybe I'll just do legs. And then the next day I come and say, I feel like doing my left pinky finger today you know there's some structure and routine to it because and then do you notice the effects right away of course not it takes several weeks sometimes a couple of months and you start noticing the effect um, but you keep at it right because the effect is is long term so the love of allah ta'ala the dhikr the exercise of dhikr uh, increases love it builds our heart it automatically fills it there's and then of course the company of the people that love allah and spending time in their company Okay, 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 we're taking the sister's questions first, and then if there's time, inshallah, we'll address the brothers. Uh, we have about 10 minutes. Okay. Uh, how do we know when we have achieved the state where we love Allah before all else? Uh, how do we know when we have achieved the state where we love Allah Ta'ala before all else? Well, what's interesting is this is, this is a similar question to um, uh, how do I know that I'm making progress in my deen? It's a similar question. And the beauty of our deen is it's not just based off of how I feel about a situation or circumstance or what I think is happening. The beauty about deen is that it, it, it requires a combination of iman, which is a, a concept that is internal, and amal, which is action. So if I, so the nice thing about deen is we have a gauge by which we can see are we moving toward Allah or moving away from Allah. Meaning, if I notice that I'm more consistent in my prayer, if I notice that I'm more consistent in my interaction with the Qur'an, if I notice that I'm more consistent in going to the masjid, if I'm more, con- and then those are the positives, if I notice that I'm staying away from backbiting and using my tongue inappropriately, etc., uh, etc., et and avoiding those things, those become the measure, the litmus test by which uh, I, I gauge, am I making progress toward Allah Ta'ala or away from Allah? 
So even if I feel great inside and I feel like I really love Allah, ultimately if it's not producing the results of amal, it doesn't mean anything. Sometimes it's a deception of shaitan to say, oh look, cry every time you hear the name of Allah, but then never stand up and, and, and wake up in the middle of the night and pray tahajjud. Right? So the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ shows us the amal that are the expressions of the love of Allah. So if I want to know, am I truly loving Allah, then I have to look, what outward manifestations of love am I now displaying? In the form of worship, in the form of sadaqah, in the form of refraining from things, and in the form of my character. And this is really important. If the prophetic, one manifestation or expression of love of Allah Ta'ala in the heart is that the prophetic character is then exemplified. The people I interact with will say that this is a person of Allah. Because of the way he or she deals with me, their courtesy, their politeness, their mannerisms, both Muslim and non-Muslim, will be able to perceive this. So these are different ways by which we can gauge if the love of Allah Ta'ala is taking over, and then um, uh, uh, over, over everything else. The other thing that happens, this is an effect of the love of Allah, is that you begin to lose the desire for praise from people. Like it, it stops phasing you. For most people, in this day and age, um, people want attention. They want to be seen. They want to be public. They want likes. They want followers. They want um, everything that happens to them. They want it to be on display. And one of the effects of... Uh, and so that desire for fame and people who have the love of Allah in their heart, you'll start to notice that it begins to disappear where you almost begin to prefer solitude and isolation in a positive way, not in a negative way, over any sort of public display. So that's another effect that occurs from the love of Allah. Oh man. Okay. This is what happens when we don't dedicate a Q&A session. Uh, <laughs> is falling asleep during dhikr consistently a sign of weakness in Iman? I will say, I, I think it's a sign of un, uh, undiagnosed sleep apnea. <laughs> uh, how do I stop doing this? I, if, if you fall asleep whenever you sit down, uh, that's actually um, uh, uh, on the upward sleepiness scale. That's a measure used to determine if you have sleep apnea. Uh, you should get tested. Um, but let's say on occasion you go to sleep during your dhikr, then yeah, I mean, inshallah, that still counts. But it's funny because... The goal is not to fall asleep every time you start doing dhikr, if that's what someone's thinking. Because then they're thinking, oh, perfect, now my whole sleep is, that's fine, but there has to be some component of focus. Drink some coffee before. Yeah, whatever it takes. Or have Dr. Mahmood can pinch you. Okay, so there's a lot of questions about love of Allah, which is, which is nice to see. Okay. Uh, there's a question about muraqaba. Uh, let, me, let me just actually table this one for now. Um, how does a person maintain the love of Allah Ta'ala consistently? Environments like these spark a strong love for Allah. Of course, we all feel it, right? Uh, however, when I go back home, I always feel that love fade, and after a few days, uh, and I fall back into heedlessness, which causes maintaining consistency in worship, dhikr, masjid, and avoiding sins difficult. Um, you know, this goes back to uh, the, the question of the company that I keep and the path that I'm on. I mean, if someone's truly seeking a connection with Allah Ta'ala that's lasting and permanent, they have to have a teacher or a guide. I, I just don't think there's an alternative. I mean, there, yeah, maybe, maybe there's other ways, but there has to be someone who you look up to as a mentor, as a teacher, as a sheikh, as a guide, who you say that I'm going to establish a connection because I have a particular goal in mind. So for instance, if I have a goal of... Uh, uh, you know, uh, for, for anything else in life, if I have a goal of getting a particular degree, I'm going to enroll in some program or some university. If I have a goal of, um, you know, and the more specialized you get, if I have a goal now within medicine of particular, of, of particular super, super specialty, I'm going to find one or two mentors that are going to bring me to that level of expertise. Uh, the same also applies to the love of Allah. So it's 99% dependent on environment. So the environment of a teacher or a sheikh or a guide, number one. And number two, the environment of the people I surround myself with. I will not be able to maintain myself, especially in this environment, if I don't have company of people that love Allah. I, I will not be able to achieve this goal. I mean, it's not possible. The, the company is critical. It's essential. It's, it's the only way. Um, 
can't read this one. Where's my translator? I'm sorry if I... What is a practical way to stay connected to Allah when at work? How do you do that as a physician? Oh, I don't know if this is asking me or in general. Uh, uh, it says position, P-Y-S-I-C-I-N. Uh, how would someone in IT or other jobs do this? How do you mentally juggle this while critically thinking? So um, this is a great question. Uh, first of all, I have to see work as an opportunity of reward. I can't just see work as getting in the way of attaining a reward. I can't see work as getting in the way of my deen. I have to see it itself as an opportunity uh, rather than a burden. That's really important. So look, the reality is, the job that I have, which is designed to give me income, where is it coming from? Is it the boss that hired me, the CEO, the company? It's coming from Allah. So how exactly do I um, express my gratitude in that circumstance? It's that I do shukr to Allah that he gave me this opportunity and I utilize it to its full potential. I give it my 100%. Right? That's from the sunnah. Whatever I'm tied to, whatever Allah is... This, this principle applies to everything. You know, people struggle with issues related to, to spouse and marriage. The first question I ask is, where did, this, where did this come from? Where did this individual that I'm now married to, or this child that's giving me so much grief, where did it come from? It came from Allah. And I had a need. I wanted a child. I wanted a spouse. And when I had that need, how was it fulfilled? Allah Ta'ala presented me with this individual to fulfill that need that I had wanted so badly. Same thing with a job. So when I begin to see that this is from Allah, then I'll begin to appreciate it and I'll begin to be so grateful for it that my outlook and perspective completely changes. And I will say to myself that there is no better job than what I have right now. Why? Because this is the one Allah gave me when I had a need. There is no better spouse. Although I look at everyone else's spouse and say, why, can't I, why couldn't I have her or him, right? But the reality is when there was a need for me to fulfill that, that sunnah of the nikah and my desires in a halal way, this is whom Allah gave. I'm so grateful for it because Allah Ta'ala fulfilled that need when I didn't have another, when I, when I, when I, when I needed that to be fulfilled. My child the same way. You know, it's funny because we, we, when we're, you know, some child gives so much grief and we look back. I mean, there are people who don't have children that would give everything in the world to be able to have a child. We ourselves are, before our first child, we're like hoping and praying that Allah Ta'ala blesses us with a child. And then we have a couple of children, all of a sudden they become the biggest stress for us. It's an opportunity. Yes, it's stressful, but it's an opportunity. And every day we should be immensely grateful for it. So work is the same way. Number one, I have to do shukr every single day that Allah has given me a job. That, uh, assuming the income is halal, he's, uh, he's blessed me with one when there are so many people who are looking for it. And this will eliminate 90% of the complaints that people have about work. I had a need. Uh, and Allah Ta'ala gave me this opportunity. And then number two, I, because of this, I have to give it 100%. So now this is how my outlook is going to be. Now, in terms of how do I practically connect to Allah when at work, number one is to make sure that the prayers are established. That we can't compromise on, the fard of dhuhr and asr. If a person can do that, I think that's going a long way. That, that's good enough. You start my day doing shukr of Allah for this work, you now present yourself you maintain good character, and you just pray your basic prayers, and you come home. Some people think that, oh, that means when I'm at work, I have to have my Qur'an with me, and I have to recite Qur'an for half an hour during my lunch break. I have to do dhikr for another. You're on work's time. They're paying you. They're not paying you to do your Qur'an or do your dhikr. In fact, that shaitan will deceive you into thinking that's what's best for you because you're seeking Allah, so the seeker of Allah should be spending half of their work hours getting paid by their employer trying to do some form of exercise of dhikr. That's a form of dhulm, and we'll be questioned about it on the Day of Judgment. So we maintain our basic fara'id when it comes to work, and we exemplify our character when it comes to work, and anything extra beyond that happens after work. So those components of shukr, gratefulness, exemplifying our character is, is, is what I would recommend. The reality is uh, sin is going to take us further away than anything else, so just making sure that we're avoiding sin is perhaps more important than anything else. Okay. Okay. That's a good question. How can we handle this is a, this is a, a good, how can we handle the feeling oh, sorry, all of these are good questions for the record. 
don't want to be attacked later. Uh, this is one that I can answer at the moment. Um, how can we handle uh, the feeling that our spouse is not as focused on gaining spiritual elevation, i.e. they're more focused on their family or parents and will always choose that over visiting the masjid or going to a gathering or talk? Um, let's remind ourselves here. I, I'm not questioning the intention of the person who's asking the question, but visiting, uh, but focus on family or parents is a mechanism by which we can approach Allah. In fact, serving parents is perhaps uh, the most important mechanism by which we approach Allah. So um, we, we just have to be mindful of the way we, the, the biases that we have about certain situations. Uh, in fact, some people, I mean, and, and look, at the, look at the Sahaba and the Tabi'een. I mean, Awais al-Qarni, rahmatullahi alayhi, he, he wasn't even able, he, he, beca- he couldn't attend the Hajj of the Prophet because he had to take care of his mother uh, who was sick. And the Prophet was so appreciative of this that he told two companions to go to him and seek his dua. This person never saw the Prophet. He, never, he, 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 uh, he wasn't able to become a Sahabi because of it. He, he was a Tabiri. So anyways, that's a separate point. But the, if the general question is, I want my spouse to be focused on deen, um, uh, it's the company that matters. And the other thing that's important to appreciate is that uh, this is, life is a marathon, it's not a sprint. I've mentioned this before. Someone may look at someone's spouse and say, wow, look how practicing they are, and they're always with them, and they're going to the masjid, and, and who knows 10 years from now where they're going to be in their deen. And I've seen it, you know. So one is just to be, look, the, the, I think the easiest way to this is to do shukr to Allah. Because Allah Ta'ala says in the Quran, that in shakaratum la'azidannakum. That if you do shukr to Allah Ta'ala, Allah Ta'ala will give you more. And if in this case you're seeking more spirituality for your spouse, well then rather than complain about her or him, do shukr that Allah Ta'ala gave you him or her. And be thankful that at least when I had a need to have a spouse, especially you know a, a spouse that is caring and loving, you gave me this individual, I'm so grateful to you, Ya Allah. I've seen people have wretched relationships and alhamdulillah you protected me from that. Do shukr to Allah Ta'ala and, and watch the change happen, sometimes months, sometimes years. You know, even if it happens before they pass away, that's sufficient. Um, the second thing that's related, I'm getting looks from our director. Uh, the second thing is um, to really hone in on ourselves. There's no, there's no I mean, it, it's, it's for certain that if, if, if we're looking to effectuate change in the people around us, it begins with ourselves. And what I mean by this is um, there's a, at a metaphysical level, there's some power to taqwa and piety. So the more I rectify my own heart and I develop it, inevitably it begins to penetrate the hearts of the people around me. And that includes my family, my children, my parents, my community, etc., etc. So it's interesting because the more we look inward, the more the positive effect will be on the outward. If I think that I can try to talk my spouse into doing something dini, good luck. If I think I can talk my children, especially older children, into becoming more dini, it's tough. You know? So I think that if we make sincere dua and do shukr to Allah and we really recognize that we ourselves are deficient uh, and we focus on our own heart, I think we'll see the effect of that play out in the relationships around us. And I'm saying this not just based off, I'm, a lot of this is experience and just dealing with people over years and seeing my teachers deal with people over years, um, this is what happens. It just takes a little bit of time and we have to be patient. Okay. Um, please give some examples of minor sin that I'm asking istighfar for. Feeling angry is one, what else? Yeah, I, I don't have the ability to see what minor sins, alhamdulillah, you know, people are performing. Uh, but generally speaking, the istighfar layers are going to be as follows. I have to do istighfar for major sins. That requires a full tawbah, right, to eliminate that. The istighfar after that is going to be of minor sins. The istighfar, meaning I have to run through this and make sure these aren't happening. And minor sins is going to be any misuse of the tongue, the limbs. I mean, there, there's just any, anything that is considered to be prohibited or disliked. Above that is going to be istighfar of the, um, uh, of the uh, deficiencies in my worship. Above that is going to be istighfar of the times where we are heedless of Allah. And eventually we do istighfar of our istighfar itself. So there's always something to do istighfar for. We're not perfect. We're never going to be perfect. We're never going to read the st- status of a Nabi. We're never going to come 
I mean, let alone, you know, the perfection of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Can you explain the thought process during muraqabah? I feel like I get bored or lose interest. Oh, there's more. Okay. I feel like I get bored or lose interest after a few minutes. What should we be thinking or feeling? So the question is about muraqabah. Muraqabah is an exercise. It's a form of dhikr of the heart. Uh, and it's very simple. Uh, first of all, the most important thing is to begin to feel comfortable sitting silently facing the qibla. That's the first step. And I think most people in this day and age are very uncomfortable doing that. We can't sit still. We can't sit in one spot. And if we do, we have to have our devices with us. So muraqaba essentially requires the first step, which is that I have to be disconnected from my surroundings. It, not, not that my family can't be near me and I have to like go into the woods every time, but it means that disconnected from technology. My phone needs to be put away and it has to be in an unstimulated environment. And it can't be in my pocket on silent. It has to physically be somewhere else because mentally I'll still be there. I have to face the qibla and I have to sit silently. So my recommendation to a lot of people who want to begin the exercise of muraqaba is they should just start practicing every day sitting for 10 minutes facing the qibla and doing nothing. Just get comfortable with that. Now, if you have a problem sitting on the floor, I do personally, uh, you don't have to sit on the floor. You can sit in a chair. Uh, it's not a problem at all. In fact, you'll get the same reward, inshallah. So you practice that. Once you feel comfortable with that, it might take you know, a few days or so. Then, um, again, your question is going to be, what do you want me to do during that time? Nothing. There's, nothing, there's no problem with doing nothing. I know in this day and age, it's like blasphemy to say do nothing, <laughs> but just do nothing. Then, if you want to, you begin to engage the heart. And the way to engage the heart is through closing the eyes and imagining that the, the nur of Allah Ta'ala is descending down upon my heart. And then as the nur of Allah Ta'ala is descending on my heart, my heart is calling on Allah's name, and it's saying, Allah, 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 Allah. And eventually... Over time, sometimes weeks, sometimes months, sometimes years of practice, you'll begin to hear your heart calling on Allah Ta'ala's name. So this is, uh, this is the method of, and practice of it. But again, the most important step is to just create the time. I wouldn't get caught up in all those things. Now, some people ask the question of, I get bored, the question saying, I get bored or lose interest. That's fine. The benefit is not in me being fully attentive in muraqabah. The benefit is in the intention that I've made, sitting down, expecting and anticipating Allah's mercy. What I mean by this is if a person is disengaged mentally from their muraqabah or they're fully focused, they're both going to get sometimes even the same amount of benefit. And that benefit is not in the moment. The purpose of muraqabah is not muraqabah. This is not a form of worship in and of itself. This is an exercise that channels or it causes improvement in other aspects of our life. So Sometimes the effect of muraqabah, you'll notice that several hours later, your prayer is deeper. You're more aware of your surroundings. You're more in control of your tongue and what you say and what you look at. Sometimes it takes a few weeks to notice that improvement. But the benefit of muraqabah is not necessarily from being fully in tune to it mentally. It's from um, just sitting with the right intention and anticipating Allah's mercy. You know, my teacher says, muraqabah is like an exercise in intidhar which is waiting. You're just sitting, facing the qibla, and waiting for Allah's mercy to come down onto you. And that's powerful, and no matter what's happening, where your mind is, that's a, that, will, that, that will provide a benefit. Um, the question of, if thoughts come into mind, what do I do? You know, um, you don't have to worry. Uh, if a thought comes into mind, uh, you don't want to suppress the thought. You want to let it come and leave. Let it come and leave. And it, your focus is just to remind yourself that in this moment, I'm focusing on my heart. It's honestly, it's, it's an activity in mindfulness in a way, except this one comes from the sunnah and this one comes from our mashayikh and our ulama. Uh, it's the most, it's, it's a very powerful exercise in mindfulness and people that practice mindfulness uh, that are interested in this from, you know, Muslims, just do muraqabah. It's, it's the best form of mindfulness that's, I mean, it's, it's rewarded. Why, why, would, why would we not look for it? And it will resolve the issues that we're seeking to resolve with mindfulness. Okay. Um, We're okay. I just have a couple more. Okay, all right, fine. I just, have, just uh, we have a couple more minutes. Okay, do you have advice on how to make the life pursuits also a form 
or source of pleasing Allah, it seems that our ibadah are compartmentalized and separate from many things that take most of our time. Um, so we'll, I'll answer this final question and then we'll pause, inshallah. Uh, I think this comes down to what lies in the heart. Um, we have to have our heart be captured by the love of Allah Ta'ala so that any activity that we perform is just an expression of that love of Allah, whether that be work, whether that be finding a home, whether that be uh, maintaining our relationships, our families, etc. Um, yes, ibadah is compartmentalized, but all of these things are different forms of ibadah as well. So I think the battle ends up coming down to what lies in the heart. If the love of Allah Ta'ala is, is in my heart, now I'm going to see everything that comes my way as an opportunity. Someone that comes and speaks to me, I'm now going to see this as an opportunity to earn reward based off my reaction or response to that person. The dinner that I have at the table with my family, if Allah's love is in my heart, I'm now seeing this as an opportunity for, for reward. If I, uh, the love of Allah is in my heart, me going to work as well, I'm now seeing this as an opportunity to earn Allah's pleasure. So I think that ultimately the battle comes down to the heart. If the heart is connected to Allah and it's in love with Allah through the mechanisms that I already highlighted and mentioned, um, this will make the pursuits of life, life also a source of pleasing Allah. The other thing that's important is... Um, um, Look, <laughs> let, me, let me try to simplify this for everyone. One of the highest states of spirituality is to see Allah Ta'ala in everything. So when I'm walking around a campsite, there are people who are walking and you know, just kind of moving about this world and seeing a tree and seeing leaves and seeing grass and seeing this. And I walk through a city, I see a building, I see people. But the lovers of Allah, the people who are seeking Allah, in everything they're interacting with and seeing, they're just seeing this as an expression uh, of Allah Ta'ala and His greatness. So now when I'm looking at a tree, people who are spiritually mature see that tree as, an as a manifestation of Allah. Not, not manifestation in terms of His creation, obviously, right? Don't, don't, get, don't misquote me. When the love of Allah and the appreciation of Allah takes over a person's heart, they can't help but see Allah Ta'ala in every single thing. Which means that includes physical things, that includes actions, that includes opportunities as well. So that's, the, that's, that's what we should all be striving toward. We shouldn't be seeing deen as laws and rules. We shouldn't be seeing deen as halal and haram. We shouldn't be seeing deen as worship and acts of worship and no acts of worship or deen and dunya. We should be seeing deen as this is the dominion of Allah and everything I see and I interact with is a manifestation of Allah and His greatness and His power and His qudra. And every opportunity that comes my way is an opportunity for me to serve Allah. And every, every food that I eat and every smell that I take in, this is all a manifestation of Allah's magnificence. When I begin to see the world in this way, this is a different world outlook. And this is only going to happen when I channel my, when I, when I get my heart where it needs to be, which is what Ibn al-Qayyim's mentioning, then a lot of these issues just become sort of resolved. 